Hello, Donna K again, with yet another show that requires some explanation. On Mastermind, we like to talk to the movers and shakers who are out there building a real business online. This show's guest, Dimitri Brinzan, is certainly a good example of that. You should know about Dimitri. The added complication, however, is that Dimitri also happens to be right at the epicentre of a controversy, but may well shake loose any remaining illusions you had that the folks at the top of the WordPress tree are acting out of anything other than naked self-interest. There was a lot to cover, all of it worth hearing, so we've taken the unusual step of breaking this interview into two parts. In this episode, part one, we cover the usual ground. Who is Dimitri Brinzan? What does he do? How did he get into WordPress? What lessons has he picked up in the course of running his business? Then in part two, shit gets crazy. We dive straight into the controversy that lays bare the dysfunction at the heart of the WordPress.org theme review process. Dysfunction that makes WordPress worse for users, but which just happens to hand a million dollar business advantage to leading members of this volunteer team. It's hair-raising stuff. Make sure to listen to both parts. Here's part one. I'm a PHP developer starting from 2005, probably. My first job was for a travel agency where I did some internal websites in PHP. That's how I started. And in 2010, I started talking to another developer from uh, Moldova with Pavel Choric. He's the founder of WP Zoom. So we started talking and uh, I became part of uh, WP Zoom and started making themes there. And uh, that's how I started with WordPress back in 2010, when the big uh, theme shops were getting started and some of them were established. And uh, since then, I've been uh, doing this uh, full time. But in hard time, still a PHP developer first and WordPress second. So every time uh, when I'm working with WordPress, I'm thinking that some things are a little too complicated than they should be. So uh, I can tell from your accent there, you, you're not an American, right? <laughs> no, I'm from the Republic of Moldova. To those of you who don't know where that is, that's between uh, Ukraine and Romania. So it is uh, Eastern Europe. So uh, I apologize for that accent. <laughs> no, actually, because earlier on when we were text messaging back, back and forth, I made a joke and I said something about, you know, or you're a classic Romanian. And I'm sorry, because I knew that you were Moldovan, <laughs> yeah. but somehow in my brain, I always mix up Moldova and, and uh, Romania. Are they, they're ethnically, they're quite similar, right? To make it short, historically, it's the same people, the same language, the same history, the same everything. So in Moldova, it's uh, the official language is Romanian language, just like in uh, Austria, it's German language and not Austrian language. Right. Huh. Historically, it's the same country, but uh, we had a very troublesome past where we were split and uh, then back together, united and then split again. So it's perfectly fine. I have a Romanian citizenship, a Romanian passport. So at heart, I am Romanian, but living in Moldova. And, and tell me, what's the deal? Why are there so many Moldovan WordPress people? Because I keep coming across them. It's a small country, right? It's a very small country. I think probably because back in 2000, probably, many developers and uh, coders and programmers started coming out of our country. Because this uh, industry, you can learn by yourself. You don't need to go to the most expensive university in the world to learn programming. You can do it from home on a small computer. 
So basically, being a poor country, a lot of people invested in that and started playing around at home. So you can find a lot of um, Moldovan developers and coders in many uh, top companies and in Google and in Microsoft. And um, of course, not a hundred people, but one or two for our country. That's, uh, that's also a good uh, statistic. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. And so earlier on when I called you Romanian, was that, that wasn't an, in, an insult? That wasn't a, a terrible thing to say, was it? No, no, that was a perfect, fine, perfectly fine thing to say. So, okay. uh, <laughs> but you know, you know, you don't live, you don't live in Romania, and you don't live in Moldova anymore. So, so tell us about that. Well, I was born in Moldova, and I lived all my life in Moldova. It has a common border with uh, Romania. Unfortunately, there's a border. But uh, last year, in 2016, I moved to Germany. I relocated my family here. So basically, I'm a. a Moldovan Romanian living in Germany or a Romanian Moldovan living in Germany so <laughs> uh -huh. so why why not Germany why Germany Germany because uh, we've been thinking a lot about relocating somewhere in Europe and we thought about some other countries but in Germany we have some uh, friends here the economy of Germany and uh, the health insurance and some benefits are uh, long term looking better right now than in other countries of course we would prefer uh, the sunny and warm italy maybe but uh, we spent a lot of time in italy and um, not sure if uh, if that's where i want to live um, for many many years yeah i don't think there's any guarantee that italy will even stay in the european union you know <laughs> i oh. think it might end up with the <laughs> That's outside of my uh, area of expertise, the geopolitical and political. Yeah, we don't want to annoy all the Italian listeners. Okay, so tell me this. So you're looking at the situation now. I take it from what you're saying about in terms of, uh, you know, insurance and everything else, national insurance, all that stuff, that you're working for somebody else or do you work for yourself? How does it, how do you work it? Right now, I uh, work for my friend. Uh, he has a uh, company here and um, basically I work part-time for him. I help with, uh, he's not in uh, IT, he's far from uh, this industry. Mm. So I'm just uh, helping out a little bit during the week uh, with some minor things about the website and some optimization. Uh, it's difficult when, when you just hire someone by the hour, they do the minimum of what's required. And then uh, you discover that your whole website had uh, no index, for example, for uh, half a year. And you didn't know why, what's the problem. Uh, so um, it's, uh, it's nice to have, uh, to have someone in-house. And, uh, and I like to look outside out of my uh, WordPress bubble. Mm -hmm. I, I like to look in uh, other directions and other industries. So that's the current situation. Right. So back in the day, back around, um, you said around 2010, you started working for WP Zoom, uh, which was owned by your friend. And yes. now I remember coming across you maybe a couple of years after that, when you had uh, Hermes themes, so you were doing hotel themes. And I remember the big story at the time was that you were charging like $100 or something, which at that time seemed very expensive for, for um, a theme. Yes, uh, I started uh, Hermes themes back in uh, February of 2013. 
And uh, I did a lot of thinking about that. Uh, this project was, uh, I was thinking about it for, uh, I think, about one year and a half, so 18 months. And I was really, really getting tired with uh, cool, good-looking uh, hotels and properties having abysmal websites. Mm like really, really bad websites. And uh, I, I worked for an um, IT company that did websites for clients. And I've seen uh, some of them, their worries and the budgets that are charged for simple websites and the overhead that is in this industry. So I thought that uh, WordPress is a good match for many independent hotels. Mm -hmm. So that was the idea. And I knew that it will be a uh, part-time project at first for me. So I thought, I knew from uh, WP Zoom that a lot of the time uh, goes into support. So probably 95% of time goes into support and only 5% in development, unless you have a really big team. So I thought, hey, if I'll have five customers a month, then... It's better than to, uh, at a big price. It's better than to have 30 customers at a smaller price. So I uh, put the price of uh, 199, so basically $200. Right, wow. And, and, and I don't know if anyone did that at that time. I think there was another theme, but I don't recall which one. Uh, someone created a theme and they said, that they will sell just 10 licenses of that theme. I think it was something like 200 or 250 per license. So the designer said that, look, it took me this time to create this theme. And if I sell just 10 licenses, that's all I need. So uh, people almost bought like exclusive rights to a very limited product. So I thought like that. So I priced it at $200. And everyone called me crazy for a couple of reasons. First, because of a price. And second, because of having the word Hermes in the title. That was me. Oh, that was me. I, I had a big argument with you on, uh, on <laughs> really? uh, some some comments. Yeah, no, no, really. We had a big argument and I was saying, dude, they're going to sue your ass, you know. But what, what happened in the end? They didn't go near you, well, right? Nothing happened because uh, if you Google Hermes, uh, then you will see that there are hundreds, if not thousands of companies in the world that have Hermes somewhere in the title. It's a generic name. Mm hmm. As long as I don't do anything about uh, clothing and uh, accessories, whatever they sell, and I don't try to somehow um, confuse people into buying something from me thinking that it's Hermes, then it's completely inoffensive and uh, completely legal. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it wasn't an issue. Though, to be honest, I had, uh, I think about... When I added the live chat feature to the website, in the last two years, I think I had three or four website visitors that were asking me in the live chat something about purses. Right. Like, uh, oh, I, I didn't receive my order. And, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I bought that. And I'm like, uh, are you looking at the website where you are? Oh, oh, sorry. And user has left chat. So... Yeah, I get that all the That's time. That's the only thing that ever happened. But about the price thing. Now, the fact that at the moment you're now working, uh, so you're in Germany. Uh, I believe you're in Dortmund. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Okay. So, so um, 
Actually, you know, a funny story I saw that today, this is nothing to do with uh, your business, but I saw a story in The Independent yesterday that said that a woman in Dortmund has set up the world's first sex doll brothel. She bought 11 sex dolls from, uh, from Asia and she's now charging 80 euros an hour or something. She's ma- and she says this, she's making about uh, 10,000 um, uh, euros per day. I, I just, I, sorry, just that happens to be Dortmund. I thought that was one of the weirdest stories that I've read in a while. Have you, have you heard about this thing? <laughs> no, but do you have an address? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I, I've no idea where it is, but, but seriously, I'm not kidding, right? If you search for uh, uh, sex doll brothel Dortmund, you're going to find all the articles about it. And I just remember thinking, first of all, Ugh. But second of all, interesting business because it's not illegal. And uh, I could actually see that a certain percentage of the population would go for that. Anyway, yeah, that's one of those crazy business ideas that probably in 10 years time we'll look back and we'll say, wow, who knew how big that was going to get? Yeah. But anyway, OK, so 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 all I've established is that Dortmund is a center of innovation. <laughs> right. Uh, well, uh, I, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, prostitution was legalized in Germany just this year. Uh huh. So uh, some things will start uh, popping up. Uh, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> uh, this year and next year. I'm, so. I'm talking to you from Thailand, by the way. Did you know that? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I've seen that in your uh, Skype profile. I yeah, think. yeah. So Thai. And uh, and I heard in the in- interview. Yeah, the interesting thing about Thailand is that prostitution is completely illegal here. There is no prostitution in Thailand officially. So there you go. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> Such a wholesome country. Okay. So, um, so, but tell me, yeah. so, so you've been in Dortmund for a year, which is not a very long time. And uh, from what you said, uh, I, I, I think I read somewhere you said that you spent the first 30 years of your life in Moldova. So, so what are you now? You're about 31? I'm 32. Right. Uh-huh. And so how, how is Dortmund? I mean, you've only been there for a year, so it's really hard to get a sense of a place properly. But how are you finding it? Well, it's important to know where I'm coming from. Mm. So uh, if you would move, for example, from London to Dortmund, you probably wouldn't see a big difference in weather and uh, in quality of life. Maybe you would just see different prices and different shops. But coming from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, from a former uh, Soviet Union country, uh, there are many uh, quality of life improvements that... um, that are difficult to ignore. So those are things that we see, but for someone else, that's a given, that's a normal thing. For us, the biggest difference is probably the weather and specifically the humidity Mm. because it rains here every day, like really every day. And uh, it's it's not a big problem. Everything is uh, clean and everything is fine. But the humidity is all in the air is always really high. For example, in Kishinev, where we lived in the capital of Moldova, mm-hmm. in our apartment, uh, we had the humidity like 25% or 30%. And that's a really bad thing, especially when you have small children, which is my case. And here the humidity is 90%. So uh, the air is always almost wet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's probably the biggest difference um, for us. Uh, And of course, the the quality of life, uh, the roads and um, the infrastructure and everything. If I knew last year everything that I knew now, we would still move to Dortmund, Germany. 
It's not something that it's not like we discovered something uh, and we regret our decision. So everything is perfectly fine. For me, I mean, I, I find Thailand very good, but then again, I'm I'm in the uh, the least humid part. I'm in the north. I'm kind of up in the mountains in Chiang Mai, which is very nice. Yeah. But I must admit, I mean, there's a lot of freedom in being in a sort of third world country or developing nation. Uh, you know, certain things are very cheap and, uh, you know, you can go around and do things. There's a great feeling of freedom. However, I must admit that if I had kids, I would bring them up in Ireland or, or the UK or, or possibly German, Germany as well. How old are your kids? Uh, I have a son. Next month he will be three years old. Three. Ah, right. So, um, and that was the main reason why we moved. We wanted him to start his life uh, in a better and more stable country. And at this age, he started uh, speaking and learning German. So, uh, for him, uh, this won't be like a big transition. Uh, this will be the country that he knows uh, best. It will be just a struggle for me and my wife. So, <laughs> uh-huh. can you speak? To, can you speak German? Well, I'm a developer and I work all day, uh, and I code in English. I do customer support in English, and uh, the friends that I interact at work, they are also speakers of Romanian and Russian. So I don't interact a lot uh, with a German language. And for me, it's, uh, well, I'm ashamed to admit, but I speak just a little bit. But my wife is uh, is studying and learning and uh, we're investing right now in uh, in her, not in me. Right. So, but so your kid will, uh, I guess your kid is going to grow up speaking Romanian, English and German, right? Yes. Yes. At, at least, at least these free free languages. That's a, that's a pretty good start. And why Dortmund in particular? You could, I mean, Germany is massive. You could have moved anywhere. And I'm I'm sort of surprised you didn't go for somewhere. You know, I mean, you're right over the the western side, the west northwestern side of uh, of Germany. Why not? Why not somewhere close to Romania or, or closer to uh, to Moldova? Um, because uh, our friends are here in Dortmund, they have uh, ah. the, the company is here and uh, the office is here. So we thought that uh, because we're making such a big, uh, big move, such a big uh, change, we thought that it's better to spend the first couple of years closer to someone who spent 20 years here and that uh, can help us out with uh, some of the uh, bureaucracy, which is quite a lot here to handle. Mm-hmm. So th- that was the decision. But of course, we would like to move somewhere uh, south uh, to southern Germany. But uh, it also gets even more expensive. And uh, but but for now, for the next next couple of years, I think uh, we'll stick around Dortmund. Yeah, it, it, I, I've been in Dortmund a few times. I, I used to live in the Netherlands and it's great. You can just sort of just drive across into Germany. And I got to say, compared to the Netherlands and especially compared to Ireland, Germany is pretty cheap. Like overall for the EU, I think it's pretty much, yeah. Yes, compared to other countries, like at least the price of uh, gas uh, for the car, you can immediately see from that the difference. So in uh, in Netherlands, I think it's about 10, 10 or 15% more expensive than in yeah. Germany. And stuff like beer or anything like that, yeah. What, what were you doing in Dortmund? Did you come to a football match no, here? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard those fans are pretty crazy. Uh, no, I, I, I just, I just basically yeah. driving around, and uh, I used to, that used to be our idea of, a, idea of a day trip to just hop in the car. And I was over in Arnhem, which is the uh, the part of the Netherlands that is so close to Germany that it got invaded, <laughs> and there was a huge battle there. So uh, yeah, 
Okay. But but so tell me this. So so, so overall, okay, I, I'm guessing by the fact that you're now working for somebody else, at least part of your time, I'm guessing that the whole thing with Hermes Themes uh, didn't work out, didn't turn itself into a, a sort of sustainable business. It is a sustainable business, but um, uh, I did and I do everything uh, myself, just some collaborations on some design and uh, some, some content writing. I, uh, I have some people that help me out. But uh, I remember th- the moment when it became so much more difficult for uh, independent shops. It happened, I think, around April or May of 2015 when uh, Google rolled out some uh, changes. I think it was Penguin or, Pan- or uh, Panda, Panda. Or, or something. Uh, yeah. And a lot of uh, affiliates uh, got hit. So um, uh, if in the past you could, uh, someone could Google top 20 or uh, best uh, hotel WordPress themes, he would get um, mm. five affiliate uh, roundups and everyone was on uh, equal terms. So when you're looking at a roundup, you see the screenshots of all themes and you pick just the, the one that you like. And uh, only after that, you look um, who is selling it and what kind of shop. Uh, but basically, you, you have exposure. Mm-hmm. And uh, And when Google did those changes... Like the next week, the affiliate traffic dropped by 20%, then another 20%, and another 20%. And as an independent small shop, at least in my case, I got uh, many a good share of sales from affiliates. And that stopped overnight, so to speak. Basically, in two weeks, I lost about uh, half of the traffic and half of the sales just because uh, affiliates got hit. And after that, um, yeah, it wasn't very pleasant. And I think uh, this happened to many other independent shops. And then uh, after this, it's not just that affiliates got hit, but also Theme Forest started getting better positions almost for all searches. I use some software to track about 150 different searches. And uh, Theme Forest is... Um, on first position or second position for about 120 out of uh, 150. And they are in top five for uh, all searches. So once someone gets to Theme Forest and sees prices of $25 or $30, and uh, what can you do after that? We had another guest on the show, uh, um, maybe a couple of months back, who had was getting an awful lot of money or most of his money for a site through affiliate links to Theme Forest. And I think it was at around that time, obviously, when they became less dependent on the affiliates, they sort of screwed them over by saying that they were no longer going to honor, you know, there was no longer to be a retention on the affiliate link. So uh, somebody could come, you know, somebody could use your affiliate site to visit Theme Forest. But then if they if they sort of went away and came back later and bought the thing, you would not get the credit for the sale. So it sounds like I think it's interesting because most people would say that sort of move by Google to reduce, uh, uh, I guess, the position of affiliate sites. That sounds on the face of it to be a very good thing because, I mean, affiliate sites, that sounds kind of sleazy. But now we know from what you've told us that actually it was affiliate sites that were propping up the entire independent sector. And that once you get rid of those affiliate sites, you leave it, you know, you leave it wide open for Theme Forest. 
or you are the big guys like that? Google didn't specifically target affiliates. Uh, they just changed some of their factors and uh, they give more importance to quality content. The effect of that was on affiliates in our sector because uh, I think this affected many other websites and many other industries. But in our case, yes, um, I think that many independent shops and uh, you also see that now many people started selling uh, their shops and there are mergers and between smaller companies because the ball started rolling in uh, 2015 and uh, if you didn't manage to get a couple of uh, popular bloggers or influencers in the community to compensate for that loss of affiliates to speak out and to promote and say oh these guys are great and these themes are great then um, you either start spending thousands of dollars on uh, um, cpc programs or you just or <laughs> you adapt I think I think you might be you know you're obviously trying to be fair-minded, but I think you're wrong. I I reckon Google definitely specifically targeted affiliate links because I mean that would be one of the signals that would indicate that a site was you know low on kind of original content. But if you think about it, I mean let's not be naive when you talk about having to turn and, and instead of having your affiliate sites having to spend thousands on CPC programs, what is the main program that people would end up spending money on? Google AdWords, right? Well, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I see where you're going. But I think that it was a byproduct. It, it was a side effect. Um, maybe it was targeted at, at affiliates, but not because they are affiliates, but because the content is low quality. And uh, in most mm. cases, that is, uh, that is true. Of course, you would argue that uh, roundup articles should be treated uh, a little bit differently because they have some value just just to be able to collect these screenshots and these links from 15 or 20 different websites it still takes a, a little bit of work and uh, a little bit of it, it it generates some value yeah real value on the other hand if you just take the 30 latest themes from filmforest and you just list them then yeah, that doesn't bring much value because you took them just from one website. So Hermes Themes, I believe you said it started around 2013. And when was this Panda update? When did that, uh, you know, wipe out the ground from under you? This happened in uh, spring of 2015. So about two years uh, after I started this uh, website, this shop. And uh, I was speaking a little bit of Steam, uh, of course, with my pricing and with being a solo developer. Uh, I didn't do a lot of marketing. I didn't do a lot of promotion. And uh, this happened uh, with Google. And uh, traffic uh, went down by a lot. And um, it was... it. And it still is difficult to recover from uh, from that time, from that update. Mm, the big guys got bigger. They got better positions and uh, and the smaller guys got smaller. So it's an uphill battle. When was that? So, so Panda or, or Penguin would have been around, what, 2015 or so? Yes, in uh, May, in May or in April. I think that was the first wave of... Um, and uh, it's not just my problem. For example, there are other big affiliate websites in the WordPress community. I won't be naming them, but uh, I've talked to a couple of my top affiliates and they all said that uh, it's really bad. Mm. 
and uh, they they lost if someone was making 10,000 a month just being an affiliate overnight it dropped to 2000 wow 2000 so you can imagine that's a big hit and uh, some of them started writing articles and trying to catch some organic traffic but i don't think uh, they uh, they were able to to bring back uh, the golden age yeah yeah that's a good term that's a good term mm-hmm. uh, it was the golden age and i think it was the golden age for uh, small developers so can i ask you just in terms of so what span did you have you had about of that golden age you had what about two years for hermes themes and i want to ask if during that time did you manage to prove the proposition that your pricing was correct yes to this day i still don't have uh, any issue with the price I don't think that's an issue and I think uh, that was a uh, good decision because at that time and right now, the uh, well, at least when I started in 2014, the support that uh, many theme shops provided was very limited. They uh, used uh, support forums like on PHPBB or, or on uh, BB Press. Some of them uh, had uh, tickets, but uh, it was still okay to wait for um, two days or three days to get a response from uh, from a theme developer. And with Hermes, I decided to provide uh, the best support that I could provide. And some of my customers, well, many of my customers were getting replies and uh, answers to their to their emails in three minutes or in four minutes uh, from where when they were sending them. Would your customers have been uh, developers or hotel owners? I was hoping to get more hotel owners and hoteliers and managers, but right on off the top of my mind, I would say that fifty percent are developers and. Uh, only 50% are the rest uh, like uh, hoteliers or, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's 50-50. Right. Okay. And which uh, group needed the most help? From the developers, I wouldn't hear anything. So I wouldn't know what they're doing with a product. I wouldn't see the websites that they create. Hoteliers would usually get in touch generally with uh really, really basic questions because they would only start with WordPress. This would be their first experience. So I also had the, um, and still have the situation in which I have to explain that widgets work like this and that menus work like this and that it's not a theme-specific issue, but it's something that comes from WordPress and that some of the frustration that they feel it shouldn't be towards the theme, but WordPress itself. Uh-huh. But but the developers, yeah, they they would buy uh, the theme for two hundred dollars and would never uh, ask a single question. So uh, so it's uh, it worked out uh, pretty good, I think, on my side. Do you think that um, if you're looking back again, is the hotel niche now? Of course, you said that you had some awareness of it because I think you were in the tra- travel industry before. But if you were looking at it today, is the hotel niche something you would you would consider good? Right now, if I would be starting a new shop today i wouldn't go uh, into the hotel niche it's uh, a lot of people started making themes and uh, the thing about hotels is that i have experience in this industry i had many activities related to hotels uh, i have friends that own hotels and run hotels so 
I know some of the some of the issues and some of the things that are day to day business for them, and I I have my thoughts on what a hotel website should accomplish and what it should do. And I based all these decisions and my uh, designs, I based them on um, actual research. And in the case of WordPress themes, there are more designers than developers. Some people, when they create their hotel themes, they they think, oh, uh, it would be nice to have this big uh, button here and uh, it looks very, very cool. But in reality, a hotel doesn't need that on their website. And they they can buy that theme because it looks cool, but it doesn't solve uh, their problem. Right. Uh. And that's, that's, I think, is an issue because some hotels buy popular themes that look good, but they will underperform. And then three months later or six months later, they would say, you know what? We tried WordPress, we tried a beautiful theme, but it didn't work out for us. Our uh, direct bookings dropped, uh, our uh, customer satisfaction dropped. So we're switching back to some third-party service that provides uh, some hotel websites with a booking engine and uh, things like that. So I presume that uh, Hermes themes uh, didn't, I, I, I presume that people could apply for certain dates that they would, con- you know, that you had some kind of contact form. I presume you didn't actually have a booking engine. No, because uh, you cannot create an, a universal booking engine and you don't want your theme to handle your reservations. That's such a terrible idea. The hotel industry, it's not a blog. It's not a photographer's job where you don't have any sensitive information. A hotel is a really, really big business. It's uh, It can be a $10 million building or $5 million building. Uh, there could be 200 rooms with uh, big guests and with big prices. You don't want your uh, WordPress developer to be handling uh, reservations and uh, room inventory and property management. That's that's a terrible idea. I think I've used pretty, I've been involved in the accommodation business since maybe 2000 and, and I'd never seen a good, there's only one WordPress solution that works at the moment for accommodation booking. Now appointments and stuff like that, that's a whole different thing. And I've seen several uh, specifically plugins that handle that. Um, and I think John is working on one as well, EDD bookings. But um for accommodation booking, the only thing that I found that really came close was uh, Jomres, uh, which is really big in the Joomla world. It works with WordPress as well, uh, but it hasn't gained a lot of traction. But it's a fantastic, I mean, it's a fantastic suite of of sort of plug-in functionality. But um, even that doesn't really handle channels, channel management as well as it should do. So yeah, it's an incredibly complex area. Exactly. And uh, that's my problem that when I started Hermes Themes, I I decided for me that I don't want to do anything about reservations. My themes are supposed to do what a WordPress theme is supposed to do. They have to present some content. You create the design, you create a layout, you create some uh, custom page templates to display uh, room information and uh, amenities and your photo gallery. And that's it. You should stop there. When a theme developer thinks that hotels will want to use their uh, booking plugin, that they will spend a month or two developing and then will drop support for it, 
you don't want that responsibility. And I think that most people would fail at doing that because even now, even after 20 years of the internet or how, however long uh, hotels have websites, even now, there are many solutions that are not universal. If you are, if your hotel is based in uh, Western Europe, then those solutions be work better for you. If you are in uh, South America, then you cannot use some of these services because there are differences in accounting, in legislation. In uh, there are many, many, many different um, specifics to this industry. So. Yes, of course, I go to Theme Forest and I see uh, a hotel theme with 10,000 sales or 5,000 sales and they advertise as a theme with a complete booking engine. And I look at it and I see, yeah, the hotels that will start using this one month in, they will discover that uh, this booking engine is not a booking engine, that it doesn't handle a lot of stuff. And uh, now they have to worry how to integrate everything with their other software, with their uh, PMS. And so that's a small frustration that I have. Um, I think if we're talking about uh, Theme Forest or Code Canyon, uh, what generally happens is that people buy the plugin and they spend a few months trying to adapt it to whatever the business case is, whatever the particular thing is, whether it's vacation rentals or hotels or whatever. And what they discover is, is that it simply cannot replicate what the owner is already doing, uh, you know, in pen and paper or whatever system that they're using. And I think that's the great thing. That's the amazing thing is that something like 99% of all of these plugins that are ever sold never actually result in a single working accommodation booking website. So that's one of the sad Yes, realities. and that's the situation. And the problem with that, you would say, oh, uh, what's the problem? Uh, people spend some money, they went, uh, the money went into this uh, ecosphere, or how do you call it? And everything is fine. Like, uh, But you have a customer that is dissatisfied or is uh, disappointed by WordPress in general. They read an article, they heard on the news that WordPress is great and uh, it can solve anything. They bought something, it didn't work out for them, they're disappointed and they leave this industry and they go back to Joomla or to Drupal or uh, something else or, or they buy uh, the solution from Booking.com. So there should be some responsibility and some uh, accountability when you can create a product that looks nice but tries to take too much, uh, tries to accomplish too much and fails at everything. Would you ever consider taking what you've learned and what you've known and the corpus of designs that you've already assembled in Hermes Themes and possibly making themes for a stable booking solution such as Jamres? And I'm, they've been going now for 12 years and uh, it's a full-time enterprise by a guy in, in Wales and he's a serious, like yourself, he's from a PHP developer background. And what they've got is, and I believe actually the, 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 yeah, the other developers actually Romanian. There's two of them work on it together. Uh, would you ever consider creating themes that could work with something like Jamres? Well, that's, that's uh, the whole point that my themes are supposed to work with any plugin because they don't do anything specific. Uh, a theme is a design. And if you like the theme, if you like the design, then you should be able to use any plugin with it. And if it's Jomres or if it's uh, uh, the booking plugin from uh, Motopress, I think a company they work 
they've been working for a long time on a booking plugin. Uh, I think they are selling it right now. Who is that again? Motopress, did you say? Motopress, yes. I think Motopress. As an M-O-T-O? Yes, it's a Motopress hotel booking plugin. They are trying to create a good plugin and, and it should be universal. Your theme should work with any plugin with minor customization and with minor changes. And that's the type of themes that I create. The live demos, they don't uh, show any reservation and any booking uh, possibilities. They show just the information about the hotel, the rooms that you have, the restaurant that you have, uh, the photo gallery, the address and uh, stuff like that. There's a place where you can add a booking button, where you can link to a booking engine. But that's what you should do. You should buy a design. You should find a good plugin or a good third-party solution. You just connect them with a link or with a small JavaScript uh, piece of code, and uh, you're done. Instead of buying a theme that uh, tries to... To do everything. Yes, to do everything. And then you start figuring out, okay, by what do I keep? What do I change? What do I customize? What do I delete? And it doesn't make sense to buy a theme to save time and then to, then to spend uh, a couple of weeks and a couple of thousand dollars customizing it. What's the point? So can I ask you, where is this going in the sense that I look at the theme market now and indeed plugins and everything else, and I think to myself that ultimately when it comes to reaching out to busy hoteliers or busy swimming pool operators or or all the many, many different areas where people need a website, but they do not have the time or the interest or the patience to to spend hours in front of a computer fixing it or, or adapting it. Do you not think that ultimately people are going to just end up buying services, software as a service, that all of this stuff will be handled by websites who provide it, that WordPress could in that sense not be, is possibly not the right solution for most people? I would say that WordPress is great, but not for everyone. Uh, Indeed, uh, it, it works for hotels, but for independent hotels, for smaller hotels that uh, if you're a chain hotel, then you won't use WordPress unless the corporate website is using WordPress. So uh, WordPress is not a uh, solution for everyone and for everything. And after spending seven or eight or 10 years in the industry, in this bubble, of course, you want to believe that uh, your CMS of choice, it is the best one and it can accomplish anything. But it became popular specifically because it didn't try to do everything. It tried to do blogs. And it became popular and people started making it more complicated and more complicated. And people started believing that WordPress can do everything and anything. And that's why sometimes you can see people creating a small landing page with a small form or just with a simple counter. And they use WordPress for that. That's not really reasonable unless you plan to keep using WordPress after you launch something or after whatever happens. Because uh, when I started with WordPress in 2010, I was amazed by the amount of resources that it it would use. I was creating my own uh, PHP engines for my websites 
And I still have uh, an online community here in uh, Moldova website that would get about 5,000 visitors uh, a day. And I would have 200 visitors at the same time on the website. And and the website was was flying. It wasn't even using anything. It was perfectly fine. And then I switched to WordPress on shared hosting. And with eight people online, it was uh, it was dying. The server was dying. And I'm like, wow, what the hell is that? From eight people or from 10 people? And that's what uh, what people should, rem- should remember, that WordPress is not for everything. Stop pushing it to everyone and forcing it on everyone. But I think you're right that there is a bias. I mean, obviously, whether it's the, you know, you've, you've invested a lot of time into Laravel or in, into Drupal or whatever the hell. I mean, every time I meet uh, Drupal users, I always feel like I'm talking to people who survived a really bad war, <laughs> you know, because they're so... Yeah, the amount of post-traumatic stress disorder there is incredible. And there's no way that they're, they've invested so much, they've lost so much by being into Drupal, that they're never going to give up on it. So I'm kind of curious, like in, in terms of WordPress, so it's, it's, it's kind of rare to come across people who are deeply embedded within WordPress, as you are. You make your living from it. Um, and yet at the same time, you do see that it's not appropriate for every situation. Would you say that that's um, a flaw in the WordPress community in the sense that sometimes people are too much in the WordPress bubble to really see outside it and to see the oncoming or the changes in the in the environment, the changes in what people need? I think that the way that the WordPress community is evolving and the product itself is evolving, you have a base of users that have been speaking for WordPress and promoting WordPress since 2008. People like you and me and our developers that have been in this industry for 10 years, every single patch, every single, well, improvement, let's say, or addition to WordPress, we see it as a small thing that we need to change in our mind. Like, okay, so the button is now here and not there. And there's a new setting where you can change your Twitter uh, username. But for new users, when they see the dashboard, when they start using it and it's wow, it's just wow. So for us, all these small changes, they have been happening for 10 years or eight years in my case. And you don't notice how much the product got more complicated and more sophisticated. All these plugins, all these themes, all these settings, theme options, importers and exporters. So I think that uh, we are in this bubble and we don't notice that the product really became complicated. And at times it's more complicated than it should be. So yes, it's what happens in any industry after spending too much time in it. You stop noticing the bad things and you focus just on the things that you know. For example, I have many customers that ask me, I installed your theme, how do I remove this meta and these recent posts and recent comments from, from the side of a website? Why is WordPress adding on a new website these default widgets? automatically. Why are they there? It's easier to explain to someone how to add something than how to remove it from the widgets page. So it's better to start with a clean website than with a cluttered website and start removing from it. 
Don't get me started on a kismet and hello, Dolly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. And, um, and people don't care. And uh, of, course, uh, of course, you will often find articles from people like, hey, hey, let's make the dashboard a little bit less cluttered. Let's change the UI. Let's let's prioritize. Uh, let theme developers uh, create some um, tools that theme developers can change the order of a dashboard. For example, to remove the links or to remove uh, a couple of items from the dashboard, and gradually, gradually enable some of them when the user wants them to. I think that Joomla went through something similar like this. I haven't used Joomla for, uh, I don't have much experience with Joomla, but I think that it also started as a light CMS and then it got more and more complicated to the situation when, when you would start out with it, you would see a hundred buttons, a hundred item menus, and, and it's just too difficult for new users. That's the end of part one. And at this stage, you're probably thinking, Hey, this Dimitri seems like a regular enough WordPress chap. Surely not the type to get mixed up in anything controversial. But you would be wrong. Be sure to listen to part two to find out just how wrong. You poor, sweet, naive fool. <laughs>